You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC, and now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. All right. Welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors. I'm Corey Janoff, joined as always by Rochelle Vanderzanden. Hey, everybody. And today, we've got a special guest joining us, Jordan Fry. He's a plastic surgeon at Erie County Medical Center in Buffalo, New York. You may recognize him from his writing on the Plutant excuse me, Prudent Plastic Surgeon blog, and he's written some articles for Doximity and I'm sure some other publications as well. But uh, he, he likes to blog about his journey, uh, you know, growing his financial knowledge and pursuing financial independence. So uh, we're excited to talk to him about uh, uh, his knowledge and journey about personal finances from a doctor's perspective. So thanks for joining us, joining us Jordan. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Excited to be here. Yes, excited to have you. Well, I guess just to start off, for those of uh, the listeners that aren't as familiar with you, tell them a little bit about yourself and how you became interested in personal finances. Yeah, no problem. So I'm, like you said, I'm a plastic surgeon in Buffalo, uh, New York. I've been in practice about two years at this point. Um, But my interest in finance kind of started the end of my training. So I had seven years of training after medical school. And as I was getting to the end of it, I was, I, I recognized that I was experiencing burnout. And a big part of that, after a lot of reflection, I realized was because of uh, just a complete lack of financial well being. And, and what I mean by that is like, you know, I was finally kind of at the end of the road and people were telling me, oh, this is going to be fantastic. You're about to become an attending, you're going to make all this money, it's going to be great. And I just, I didn't feel like it was going to be great. I was more stressed than ever because I had half a million dollars in debt. I had uh, credit card debt. I had no savings, no investments, uh, you know, I was spending up to my paycheck. And I, I had no idea how to make these things better. And I, I had a wife and two little kids. And, you know, that was really stressing me out. And I had just stuck my head in the sand about finances until then. So my wife and I decided to, you know, kind of finally take control of this stuff and learn about it. And I was really intimidated and scared. But um, you know, I kind of looked my mistakes in the face and realized, okay, it's it's not necessarily as bad as I thought, or that gave me a lot of power then to to change things. And so I started learning more and just building up the habits and then, you know, found a passion for it. That's really cool. I feel like we do have a lot of clients that have the opposite reaction almost when they're about to start that attending job where they think that that extra money is going to magically fix everything and they don't realize how much extra work it's going to be. So even the fact that you recognize that before you got there is pretty impressive, honestly. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's definitely that lifestyle creep can kind of kick in when you start making some money finally after all that delayed gratification. Absolutely. So when did you decide to start the blog? Is that the first thing that you did was the blog, right? Yeah, I started it a couple, a few months basically after I started, after I had this kind of like epiphany and started learning about personal finance um, for a few reasons. One, I, I started to realize immediately once I learned about personal finance and especially once my wife and I came up with our financial plan, 
that even though I was still training, she was still, she was in her PhD at that point. So we, we weren't making any more money, but just having a plan that I knew would get us to our financial goals that like helped my burnout so much. It allowed me to refocus on medicine, what I love doing. And so I realized all of a sudden that financial well-being was such an important but missing piece of overall well-being and a contributor burnout that I, I didn't see other physicians recognizing, but I, I saw a lot of physicians falling into the same traps that I had. Um, so that was number one. I thought, you know, I, I really kind of want to talk about this. And then the other thing I realized was there just wasn't a lot of people talking about it while they were going through it. It was a lot of people that kind of already reached financial freedom and were sort of, you know, shouting instructions from the finish line. And those people helped me a lot. But I also wanted to be someone that like was going through it and could show all the mistakes I made and was making and how I was trying to do things better that maybe was a little more relatable. I, I also still, as far as anyone I've met or heard of, was in like the worst financial hole of anyone graduating training that I've met. So I wanted to be like, if I can do it, I'm literally, you know, the worst, like you, you're starting off better than me. And if I can do it, anyone can do it. Yeah, it's the joke that a, a graduating med student or resident is, is poorer than the homeless person on the sidewalk asking yeah, for exactly. change with all the student loan debt. So yeah, no, that yeah, I, you know, it's a great um, leap of faith that you took. You know, it's one thing to just get motivated and get your finances in order and research and learn. It's another to want to publicly document the journey. What what made you? And I assume maybe you had some of your wife's buy-in as well. Want to start the blog and document that publicly. Yeah, I definitely had her buy-in um, because we were pretty transparent with like everything, uh, including our names and stuff like that. And I just thought that, again, would help more people. There's such a taboo in medicine about money because we all think it's this dirty thing. Um, and I did, too. When people used to ask me, I'd just be like, oh, that's not why I'm doing this or, you know, that's not important. And that's what led me to, you know, the burnout that I experienced and was really in a bad place. And so money is important. It's a tool that we can use to do good for ourselves and for others and our families. And, and so it is important. And I wanted to get that out there. And again, I felt the most relatable and also the most like genuine way that I could do that was by being completely transparent and using my name and, you know, kind of putting it all out there. Um, and that's what I've always tried to do, even like in stuff I've done within medicine to really put myself out there about what I'm doing and, and, you know, the ups and downs I've had. So this kind of fit in with that. And I'm sure that's probably only enhanced the process of learning. Cause I think probably one of the best ways to learn is to write about it and, and, and teach about it. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it's probably, it forces you to, to build that knowledge base and learn yeah. about topics that you may not be as, as knowledgeable about. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun too. Cause again, people are a lot of the people that follow are, at the same place or maybe even ahead of where I am. So I get to learn from them as well, which is really beneficial. That's very cool. Tell us about how that correlation works between you and financial wellness and, you know, feeling more comfortable in your work and, and being a better doctor. How, how do you feel like that's affected your work? Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it's a huge difference because you know, when I was training and I was feeling all this pre financial pressure that, again, I didn't always recognize in my conscience that I was feeling. But when I think back to like my subconscious, it was it was always there and it was always a huge, huge stressor. 
And it pulled focus away from what I was doing and what I love to do. And there's so many people that in medicine, you can get bogged down by a lot of different things. You know, we have a lot of patients see a lot of expectations. Administrators put a lot of different tasks on us. We do a lot of non-clinical things that are required of us that can eat into our clinical time, which is why we got into medicine. And that stuff can really be stressful and lead to a lot of dissatisfaction, especially when you feel like monetarily you're, you're not being compensated as well. And that sounds ridiculous for a physician to say that monetarily they're not compensated well because all physicians are compensated extremely well, um, just by definition. But you, you feel that way when your personal finances aren't in order. You know, like I said, I went from making the same amount of money as a trainee to from not having a financial plan to just having a plan that I knew if I followed would get me where I wanted to go. And that's what made all the difference that I could focus again back clinically, back on medicine, back on all the reasons I love medicine. And the other stuff just didn't seem as important because it was just, okay, well, whatever, I have to do it. And, um, you know, I'm still reaching my goals clinically. And I also know I'm still reaching my goals personally and financially. So having that financial strategy in place, you know, alleviates those, all those stresses and worries and allows you to focus your attention on you know, being a doctor and not, you know, constantly having that nagging thought in the back of your head. Oh, did we pay the credit card? Oh, do you know, are we going to have enough for this or are we on track for retirement? You know, and just that idea, I think for everyone, uh, but for physicians as well, it applies, you know, working because you want to is so different than working because you need to. And, you know, again, if I'm working because I want to, and yeah, I have to fill in, you know, I have to check all these boxes in the electronic medical record, but that allows me to do something that I want to do. That's my passion, like operate on patients, help someone. Um, that doesn't seem like a big deal anymore versus if you're there going, oh my gosh, I have to do this because if I don't, then, you know, I can't make my kid's tuition check or, you know, I, I won't be able to retire or something like that. It, it's a huge difference of mindset at that point. Yeah. So you've talked a couple of times about making the plan itself and how that was a, a big store, a step towards feeling like you were on your way to financial wellness. What are some getting started tips for doctors in similar situations or like maybe just getting out of training? Like what are a few things that you would have them include in a plan like that? Yeah, what I would say the first place to start is like just write a list of your financial goals, just really broad, general, and, and make them ambitious. Like um, some of ours, you know, we wanted when we were coming out of training, pay off all of our credit card debt uh, within a year. We wanted to pay off all of our student loan debt in five years, which seemed really intimidating given how much I had. Um, but now we're on track to do that because we figured it out. Um, you know, when we wanted to have a net worth above zero, when we wanted to have a net worth of a million dollars. Um, and, and then once you have those goals, then I kind of say, try to think of a, just a very generic how, and then you organize those into priorities. So again, for us, paying off debt was a big one. So you're becoming debt free. So how do you do that? Well, you pay off debt. So paying off debt became a number one priority of ours, um, contributing to retirement plans, uh, investing in real estate, etc. And then once you break out those priorities, then you can say, okay, well, how am I going to do that? That it's going to lead to my goal. You know, um, for debt, a big step was creating a budget, um, both of our current salary when I was a trainee, but also of our expected salaries once we both got, you know, real life jobs and 
we took a big chunk of that and we continue to use that to pay off debt. Um, we take a big chunk and we use it to invest in real estate. We take a big chunk and we invest in our retirement accounts. Um, and we end up saving about 40 to 50% of our income each month. But so you kind of just start generically with your goals and then get more and more specific as you work down. Um, and again, once you, once you have the plan, it's really easy because all you have to do is follow it and then you're guaranteed to reach your goals. I do feel easier like for said some than people, done. it's like easier said than done. Exactly. <laughs> it, it sounds like that at, at, at first, but it really is, you know, you, you just kind of yeah. hammer it out when there's a will, there's a way when you set those goals, you'll find a way to get it. But if you never set the goals, you'll never get there. For sure. I think the key is like you kind of outlined, all right, set the goals, develop a plan to achieve them, implement autopilot. And then, exactly. you know, you didn't say this, but I'm, I'm, you know, taking the leap of and assuming that, you know, what's left over then is what you have to spend and enjoy and live life. Yeah, with. And, exactly. And, and for most doctors, like you said, they're pretty well compensated. Even after the residency or fellowship transition into practice, if you outline all of those goals and, and direct money towards them, there still should be a, a pay bump from that oh, resident yeah. lifestyle yeah. to attending lifestyle. And I mean, we and, definitely were, my wife and I, you know, we save a lot. Um, and I'm also fortunate. I'm a plastic surgeon, so I, I make more. I'm always at the higher end of physicians. But for any physician, you know, the goal, it doesn't have to be to save 40 to 50% like we do, but just 20%. I think that's a good rule of thumb. Um, to save and put towards retirement, etc. You know, we, like I said, I, I found a passion for this. And so we do a lot of stuff like real estate investing that is, is not 100% necessary, but we really like it. And it's, you know, become another shared activity for us. And so that's a big part of our financial plan, but it doesn't have to be, it can be, um, you know, much more hands off for someone who, again, doesn't have a passion for it, just wants to get it all set and then forget about it and focus on what they actually want to do, which is the beauty. That's actually really cool. I feel like a lot of times with couples, you have one person or the other that's interested in in like the financial picture and things like that. And that person generally is the person that's that's running the show. But it's very cool that you and your wife like to do it together. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an important part. At least, you know, the the knowledge or, or the awareness of finances, I think, has to be split somewhat 50-50. Because if not, then one person becomes the bad you know, guy or girl, and the other person is going to feel resentful that they're like, you know, trying to manage the money and, and the other person is upset about it. So it's tough. So I mean, we definitely don't always see eye to eye on stuff, but we always sit, we still go through a budget once a month together. When we make big purchase decisions, we always do that together. Our real estate investing or overall investing is all together. Um, so it's a constant state of trying to get on the same page. And, and sometimes it's different, but at least having that communication is huge. Any suggestions for couples out there who may not be on the same page financially? It's, I mean, at first it's like a painful process. You just have to talk about it. You have to talk about it. You have to like go through budgets together. Again, the first time we were doing the budget, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, she was like, oh, we need to budget more for this. That I was saying we need less, or I was saying more and she was saying less. And, you know, it's it's not always fun, but you have to just kind of come to compromises about those things, because if, if one person's not happy, then the couple is just not going to be happy. And again, also, if you're if you get to the point where you become so frugal that you're not enjoying the now, then that's pointless also. Um, 
So that's another thing I talk a lot about is just like intentional spending, the idea of really thinking hard about what we're spending and making sure that the joy we're getting from our expenses is equal to what those expenses are. Because um, a lot of times, especially like you mentioned with lifestyle creep and stuff, we're just buying things without really thinking about if it's going to make us long-term happy or if it's just like some dopamine hit that we're after. And have you guys always kind of have that open communication about money, easy to talk about, or was it difficult initially? And as you know, you've forced it upon yourselves to communicate more about it, it's become easier. No, it's definitely become a lot more healthy. I mean, our money relationship before um, was essentially like, I was just really scared about money and I ignored it completely. And she, and she would pay attention and always make sure that we were, we were okay but like, you know, I was someone that if I would look at a bank account, it was lower than I thought. And a lot of times we were just scraping by, um, I, I would like freak out and she would be the one like, okay, this is how we're going to deal with it. Um, and then as I became more informed and she became more informed, we, we were able to kind of have more coherent conversations about it. I, I say that on my part mostly. Um, but even then, like I said, we weren't always on the same page, but we did have more open communication around it. So we've talked a lot about the things that you're doing right. And I know in a couple of the articles that you've written, you've alluded to some financial mistakes, but is that something you're comfortable talking about so people can avoid doing the same things? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I've made a lot yeah. of mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone has. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think initially my biggest one was well, I'll, I'll talk sort of in the abstract and then more concrete. I mean, I, I think my biggest one and that a lot of people fall into is just being so scared of, of finance. Um, like, I'm sure you guys meet a ton of people in general and physicians who just think it's so complicated, so intimidating, and, and just ignore it completely. Um, but it's not. It's one of these things that especially, I mean, I tell physicians, I'm like, you know, using myself as an example. On the one hand, I started out, you know, like, I wasn't like the most attractive person to get into medical school or residency or anything like that. But you believe in yourself and you push yourself and you achieve these things that are really, really hard. But so you have a really healthy mindset in that respect. But then when it comes to like money or something, you're like, that's just so complicated. I could never comprehend the complex, you know, uh, stuff about that. Well, that's that just doesn't make sense. It, you, you, of course you can. You, you did something, you know, arguably much harder than that. Um, so just like my biggest mistake was not picking up a book and reading sooner. Um, and so I think that's a big one. And I always tell people the best thing to do is probably just pick one finance book and try to read 10 pages a day or just pick one like finance blog to follow, whatever it is, and just read one post a day. Because those are like 15 minute habits that can change your life in a month. Um, so that was a big like mindset mistake that I made. The actual like, money mistakes I made. I mean, I had huge, huge amounts of debt that I just deferred over. I mean, some of them for over a decade, I, I deferred all of my um, debt during my residency, seven years, and basically disqualified myself from public service loan forgiveness, um, which, you know, if I had done, I would be debt free in a year, because I would qualify for forgiveness in a year. Now, if I started, because I'm a high income earner, my income-based payments would be so high that any forgiveness would be negligible. So I just pay it off aggressively, um, you know, the, the straight up way. Um, so that was a huge mistake. I also just had this concept, which 
it seems so strange saying it now because it's so obvious, but I just had this concept that whatever money you made, you just spent it. Like I didn't, we didn't save anything. We just spent up to our paycheck. And I think a lot of that's because of the way I was raised and what I saw, which was not healthy financial habits. But like just that concept of saving was, was such a, a light bulb moment. Um, so like I said, our savings rate was 0%. So we eventually started, we creeped that up to 1%, 2%. You know, now it's obviously much higher. Um, so that was a huge mistake. Another one was just using credit card debt. Um, I, it's kind of embarrassing to tell, but I mean, I remember looking at, we had racked up a bunch of credit card debt and one, one month I was like looking at the statement and I saw like this interest charge and I was like, what is this? And I called them and I was like, what, what is this interest charge? Why are you, why are you like charging this? And they were like, uh, like, Hey, you, you know, you're moron. That's like how we make our money. Um, and so I didn't even have a concept like that. There were these huge interest charges on, on credit cards and stuff. So I had all this debt at like 26%, you know, ridiculous amounts. And I'd bought stuff that we either could have paid in cash or just didn't need. And I was just like, oh, I'll just put it on a credit card. And it's just sort of like disappears and I'll just pay the minimum amount. And I just could never understand why it kept getting bigger and bigger. So just really silly stuff like that, that a lot of us fall into the traps of. I think a lot of that is not necessarily even your problem, though. I think the the sad thing is that people aren't very well educated about a yeah. lot of these things. Like yeah. someone should have told you at some point about how credit cards worked. You like would you think, should have I known know. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you written point a bit in my about life, that. I knew at yeah. some point in my life I knew trigonometry, but I, I never learned yeah. how credit card worked. And you learned all of these things about how to be a surgeon, but yeah. again, didn't know how a credit card worked. So yeah. you've written a bit about that, about how there's like this huge lack of financial education provided to physicians and probably to people in general. Mm -hmm. But if you ran like a GME program or a medical school or something like that, like what kind of curriculum would you want to offer and what sorts of resources do you think would be helpful to people? I mean, I think there should be like within medical schools and within residency programs, some financial curriculum. And it doesn't have to be because the issue at hand is with residencies. There's so much of a time crunch already to get people to be the best doctors they can. And that's where your focus should be 100 percent learning to be the best doctor that you can and take care of patients well. But again, I think ignoring finances, that makes you a worse doctor. So that's not a solution either. So there needs to be a compromise of where to fit it in. So I think like some sort of quarterly um, education sessions for medical students, for residents, I think that's really important. Um, you know, that's certainly something that I've tried to start where I am and, and have that going. And there's some places kind of following in, in that, um, you know, uh, way. But I, I think that's really important. Like you mentioned earlier, it's I mean, it's not uh it's not as complex as plastic surgery. Some of the principles are pretty basic. If you can learn to be a, a doctor, you can learn the the basic stuff about finances that'll, you know, get you on the right track. Like you said, what is a credit card? How does it work? You know, what's a retirement account? How to you know, PSLF program if you want to pursue that. Like basic yeah. things. Yeah, exactly. It is and, and there's information out there and it is just way less intimidating than it seems on its surface. Um, can you talk a little bit more about expectations versus reality when it came to starting 
your uh, first attending job or the things that you know you'd expected that you might be able to do or, or with your new income or things that might have been challenging for you yeah i think for us you know we had all these expectations of what we saw because what you see is i mean i had residents graduating from my program that were immediately getting you know really expensive luxury cars tesla's getting these huge houses taking like, you know, lavish vacations, doing all these things. And I was like, all right, sweet. I'm going to, I'm going to be doing that. And then that's what I said, as I got up to it, I was like, wait, this just doesn't add up. How the hell are people doing this when, you know, they have all this other stuff that I have, which I knew a lot of people did. Um, and that's, that's again, what was creating that huge disconnect. Um, but I think the one thing that we, my wife and I did really well was, managing our expectations or not even so much that, but managing perceptions of us as we were transitioning to becoming an attending. And my wife became a professor uh, with her PhD. Um, like we really just focused on what was important to us, not so much what was important on the outside. So like I do have what people would consider a stereotypical like doctor house. We ended up getting it in a very, in a way that fits our budget really well. It's like 1.2 times our annual income. Um, we ended up buying it with including all the furniture in it because we didn't have any furniture. Um, so we bought it in a very smart way, but it was something that was really important to us coming from New York City with two kids. We were used to no space in a really cramped apartment. Um, but on the contrary, like I drive a, a pretty beat up used Toyota because cars just aren't really important to me. Um, my wife, Lisa, is a nicer, like, Kia Telluride. But for me, cars just aren't important. I initially was planning to lease, like, an expensive luxury car and then realized, why am I doing that? I don't actually, like, care about that. I bought a used Toyota. Now I don't have those payments. That's what allows me to do and save as much as we, we are. Um, so, you know, we just focus a lot on what's important to us, not what we perceive other people will see us as because we are, you know, because I'm a plastic surgeon or whatever. Because what I've realized is just nobody cares. Um, I actually have a pretty good story, which is our, our real estate agent um, who helps us with all our real estate investments and stuff. He's like a very uh, materially motivated person. He, he's super nice and I love him, but he's very much like that. And the first time he saw me in my car, which, like I said, is a used Toyota, he was like, oh, I knew it was you coming because I knew it was like an expensive car and stuff. And I was like, dude, you even like look at it? I didn't say anything, but he just assumed. And, and his vision of it was just that it was some expensive luxury car, even though it's not just because I'm a doctor. So I said, it doesn't matter the car you drive. It just matters, you know, the person you are inside, I think. That's hilarious. <laughs> So obviously, it seems like a lot has changed over the last couple of years for you two and for the family. Yeah, for sure. What? Yeah. What do you think are some of like the favorite, your favorite things that you've been able to do financially that maybe you hadn't even thought about before, like some strategies or? Yeah, I mean, I think one of, I mean, one of my favorite things that we've been able to do financially is just spend money. And we've been able to spend it intentionally, like I said, because we've been, you know, smart about managing our personal finances, but that's something we, we couldn't do before a, because we were just making less money, but also B because we just spent, you know, unwisely, we never saved, we racked up debt that we constantly had to service. So we didn't have enough to get the things we wanted. Um, 
so even like we we did buy there was one room that was unfurnished in our house that we bought like a couch set for that for us was really fun because we had never really made a big purchase before and we you know saved up for it and thought about it really intentionally and waited and, and then finally bought it and it's brought us a lot of joy um so just spending like that um and, and spending on experiences for our kids has been a lot of fun um the other thing like we really enjoy investing in real estate and it's something you know we invest locally in buffalo um and so it obviously helps us but also you know we're able to provide um good housing for you know lower income folks who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford it necessarily so that's something that brings us a lot of joy and fulfillment um so yeah that that's all been really good You've written a little bit about uh, the concept of interest rate arbitrage. You know, how'd you learn about that, and what's your current approach to debt repayment with that knowledge? Yeah, I, I, you know, I came about it just sort of as I was learning more, and it, it's always this huge debate. You know, I've like debt at three percent, and I can invest. Let's say I think it's going to be at seven percent or something. So mathematically, doesn't it just make sense to pay the minimum debt and then invest the rest? Um, I mean, that like the math adds up. That just makes sense. I still pay my debt really aggressively. I mean, I have some that's still 0% currently with the federal forbearance. And I have some that's refinanced for like, it's even less than 3%, I think 2.75. But I still pay off a ton of that money every single month just because like I want to get debt free. Being debt free increases cash flow. Behaviorally, I know for myself, I'll just feel much better being debt free. So it doesn't always make sense math wise. But with that being said, it's not I don't put everything towards debt. Probably about a third of what we save goes to debt, a third to real estate, a third to, um, you know, just our stock and bond investing. Um, so in that sense, I still do use interest arbitrage, but we definitely pay m way more than the minimum to our debts. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a saying personal finance is a lot more personal and a lot less finance. And exactly. yeah, the spreadsheet, spreadsheet and calculator might say, oh, if you can invest at, say, 7%, not guaranteed, but historically, you know, highly likely right. over a long period of time, and your debt's costing you three, well, you're netting a positive 4% if you invest the difference. But, you know, that takes a lot of discipline. And then there's the emotional part, which... You know, kind of like allowing you to be a better doctor. If you if you remove that emotional stressor from the equation, it can help you focus on the more important things. So as long as you're exactly. on a decent track with all of your goals, and yeah, let's maybe make the not optimal financial decision, but it helps our overall you know satisfaction. So I think that's great. Yeah, exactly. Um, looking back to. You know, we've talked a little bit about you know financial education and you know, GME curriculums. If you could give advice to your former self all the way back at say the start of med school, what would that advice be? I think at the start of med school, the best advice and what I always give medical students because it, it's so far away that a lot of times it's hard to think about the aspects of like, okay, like save for your retirement and and like this kind of thing. Most importantly, I think is just like manage your debt. And at that point, all it is, is keeping it as low as possible. I mean, I treated like my debt payments, like a paycheck when I was a medical student, because I just spent it all. Um, and was like, you know what, like, this is a future Jordan problem. And then it became a future Jordan problem. Um, so I mean, you you have to 
taking out debt in general for medical school ends up being good debt because you increase your your earnings over the lifetime, et cetera. But you do want to minimize it. You want to only get the things that are necessary. You do want to pay in cash what you're able to pay for in cash without using that debt. Um, and then as you get towards the end of medical school, start thinking more about how you're going to pay that off. And if you are going to pursue something like PSLF, um, you know, be aware of that program and what you need to document to take advantage of it. Because I really, really wish I could go back and do that. That's definitely a regret of mine. Yeah, that's really unfortunate that that happened to you. I feel like the education around public service vote, like loan forgiveness is, is better than it used to be. So medical students coming out of school now probably have a little bit of a leg up on, on what you had. So that's, I think, one thing that's actually improved a little bit, fortunately. Yeah, I agree. There definitely was less education about mm -hmm. it in the past. Part of the problem was definitely me putting my head in the sand. So I, any little bits I, I didn't get, but now it's it's way more out there and definitely uh, mm -hmm. something people should take advantage of. I read one of your posts and you were talking about this fallacy of never having enough time to do all the things that you like needed to do or wanted to do. And I think Corey and I can probably both relate. All of us have young families here. <laughs> um, but I love the idea that really... If, if you prioritize something, you have enough time for it. And I think that's very true for most people. Um, do you, like, what are some of the things that kind of fell off the priority list when you actually thought about, like, what was important to you? Or what are some of the things that moved up the priority list for you? Yeah, things that moved up the priority list a lot were, you know, like, family and self-time. Um, which is something I had completely neglected for a long time in residency, again, partially because of our constraints, but also just because I did. And that's a lot of the stuff that I put lower down on the priority list was, it's hard to even name specific things, but just things that I, I wasn't saying, oh yeah, I definitely want to do that. Because there's always opportunities that come up for us in life. Um, and, you know, we're always, we're honored people think of us and they can seem, you know, oh, this, this could be fun or this could be a good opportunity. But if it's not something that you're really saying like, hell yes, I got to do this, then it's not something you, it's not a priority for you. Um, you really want to think in your life in terms of like, for each aspect of life, you know, you'll have a different one professionally and personally, et cetera, but you know, your one big goal and everything you're doing should be leading you towards that. And, and the extra stuff should just kind of fall off. So, you know, I only take on research projects now that I'm really, really passionate about. Um, the, the other stuff I leave to people that are more passionate about it than I am. Um, even just extracurricular engagements, if it's not something that is pushing me towards my overall goals, or if it's taking me away from my family more than I want to, then, you know, I put that to the side. And, and I've had to adjust those things because as I've built up this, my blog, which has grown more than I expected, you know, more things come onto that. So I, I've had to focus, okay, what's my actual big goal? And that's, you know, educating other physicians and helping other physicians get to financial well-being. And anything that doesn't meet that has to fall off. Absolutely. I remember talking to another blogger, the physician philosopher, Jimmy Turner, about this whole idea of like financial wellness and how it creates so much more flexibility at work. So you can say no to some research projects if, you know, if you if you feel secure in your financials, 
Like you, you have a lot more flexibility at work, which is, it's kind of awesome to think about, honestly. Yeah, exactly. Well, this has been fantastic, Jordan. Thanks for taking the time. Any other last thoughts, parting wisdom for the listeners? No, I think, you know, I love what you guys are doing and appreciate you having me on and education is so important. And to see people in your field taking the time to, to educate, that's that's super important and a big component of this as well. Um, so yeah, I think that's the biggest message is just learn about this stuff, look your mistakes in the face. They aren't as scary as they seem. Uh, personal finances and as hard as it seems and you can do it. There we go. Thank so. you, Jordan. Jordan Fry, Prudent Plastic Surgeon. What, what's the website address? Just uh, prudentplasticsurgeon.com. There we go. Easy enough. All right. Well, thanks a bunch. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance, or on Instagram, Vanderzanden Rochelle, or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanden. Check out all of the podcast episodes on thefinitygroup.com slash podcast, on our Finity Group YouTube channel, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group, LLC.